2: you want to know the value of Steve Paulette to this show, trust me, the energy I get being in the studio, being able to see him, he actually represents all of you, the thousands and thousands of you who listen to the show and tell all your friends, I know you're there, and I get to see you all week long when I'm seeing patients, I know you're there, but right now, Saturday mornings, you're all combined into the punham that's across the glass from me. And that's Steve Paulette. My guest today, 15, is a good friend of Steve Paulette Ted Sobel, who wrote a book, and we'll talk about that book. But the book, in essence, is about a man who grew up here in Los Angeles who's reminiscing about the glory days, the past, from a sports perspective to a news perspective. And certainly, which is what I want to talk about, a food perspective. Reminiscing. The value of being able to live in the moment and yet utilize your past. You know how much I love the world of art, sports, and my world of surgery. Where do I see the experts, the best of the best, use their past in their craft, in their life. Because I believe happiness comes from that. And the fullness of your life comes from that. Well, in the world of art, nobody touched me more than a man born in 1890. He was actually born in the 1800s. But I enjoyed his work, his ability to be in front of a crowd. And you bet your life, the TV show he did in black and white in the 50s, He was fearless with his wit and his comedy, but he was also a master at using the past for each day of the moment, and it was Groucho Marx. So listen to him. In 1969, he's 79 years old at this time, stand up and sing a song that he sang in a movie he made in 1939 with his brothers called At the Circus, or Day at the Circus. This is a song that Yip Harburg, who wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow and many other songs, his whole story is unbelievable. I actually met him many years ago. He's long since passed. Yip Harburg, he wrote this song called Lydia, the Tattooed Lady. Here's Groucho Marx at 80 years old singing the song.
0: Oh, Lydia, oh, Lydia, say, have you met Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. She has eyes that men adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh, Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh, Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the battle of Waterloo. So the wreck of the too. and proudly above waves, the red, white and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. So
2: funny. So here he is talking about remembering his personal life, his growing his family life, and how valuable this is and to his craft as a comedian. This story is absolutely hilarious. Groucho Marx Dick Cabot, 1969.
3: I was there the other day. They're tearing down part of your old neighborhood.
0: This is not just a coincidence, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so They've turned everything down. They've turned the school that I used to go to. That was at 96th Street and Lexington Avenue, PS86. Royal Piper was the something that they used to holler. Mm-hmm. They hollered other things at me.
2: So Dick Cavett is triggering in his head. Okay, and he's doing this on purpose. You remember anything about that school that you grew up? The guy's born in 1890. So this
0: story is going to go back to 1910. We used to go to school in the morning. My mother always fixed sandwiches for us in the morning to go to school, because we lived in 9'3, and the school was at 93rd. But by the time we got to school, we were hungry again. <laughs> so we always ate our lunch and then we went home and had lunch again in 93rd. <laughs> My mother was always so astonished. she's like, "Prepared lunch for you. Why don't you eat it?" He says, we ate that on the way to school.
4: <laughs>
0: this yep. is why I didn't get an education. <laughs> he got an
2: educational, the School of Hard Knocks. But listen to a memory he gives to, a reminiscence that he gives to Dick about his work life. This is a hilarious story about the, the movie from 1939, A Day at the Circus, about a gorilla. Oh, my God.
0: This is a song from a picture called uh, A Day at the Circus, which we did at MGM, okay. and uh, I sang this in a Pullman car. But... <laughs> now, why are you applauding a Pullman car? <laughs> there aren't any more Pullman cars. <laughs> anyway, we, in this picture, we had a gorilla. It wasn't actually a gorilla. It was a gorilla skin with a man inside of it. Sure. And... Uh, he had a manager. This gorilla skin had a manager. <laughs> this is true. And we engaged him to bring the pelt over to the studio. Mm-hmm. And then we engaged a man to go inside of the gorilla skin. And he also had a manager. So we had two managers there for one gorilla.
4: <laughs> and
0: this skin this was awfully hot, you know, with all the lights. And it was in the summer, we we're doing the scene. And during, uh, during lunchtime, <laughs> The fellow who was in the skin, he went over to the lunchroom, and he got an ice pick, and he bought about 40 holes in this uh, gorilla skin, (laughs) and when he came back, he was very comfortable inside of this uh, skin. But the manager got wind of this, the manager of the skin, (laughs) and he was in a rage. And he says, we're not going to permit this, and he says, give me my skin, get that guy out of there, and he threw the pelt over his shoulder and walked out of the studio. Now we had about three more scenes to do with the gorilla, but we had no skin. Oh, my God. So we had six people from MGM rushing around San Diego and all around that section of California looking for another monkey. We needed another gorilla, but we couldn't get one. We got an orangutan, (laughs) which is only half the size of a gorilla. Did you know that? No, but I do now, and I'm glad. And then we had to get a measure. We had to get a midget to go in this, in this orangutan skin. Yes, yeah, a memoir. And then we got hundreds of letters mm. when the picture came out from fans who said, We don't understand it. The gorilla was this high. <laughs> and it was only this high in the second half. And we never told them that we had had a, a, an orangutan with a midget in it. <laughs> Groucher
2: Marx, the ability to reminisce in the world of art. Nobody did it better. He used it in his craft. So comfortable with his past, and he could use it to live a better day in the present. That's what today's topic is all about. What about in sports? Well, my favorite was Keith Jackson. Keith Jackson who passed away three years ago was truly the granddaddy of them all in terms of college football. But it was because of his love of the past and could see the pageantry. He called the University of Michigan Stadium. Over 100,000 people can be in that stadium to watch football on Saturdays. He called it the Big House. And he called the Rose Bowl. And he called so many uh, games at the Rose Bowl. He called it the granddaddy of them all. And his famous line, Woe Nelly, and so many others, he always would pay tribute to his growing up in Georgia, in rural Georgia. Keith Jackson used the reminiscence and the ability to to use that past to make the present that much better. And ultimately, towards the end of his life, in his mid-80s, I got a glimpse into what exactly he was doing and how much it meant to him when he visited the Rose Bowl. And here he's gonna teach you. Remember Dr. Ranawat used to tell me as a surgeon, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. Keith Jackson is in essence telling us the same thing, only he's a sportscaster, so he's telling you how to listen. And if you can't hear it, you can feel it. He's in the Rose Bowl, and he's trying to convey that to us.
0: The place talks. It talks to you and if you you don't believe it, if you ever have a chance somewhere in this maze of seats, sit down, no conversation, just you. And just sit there and listen and see if you don't hear something, but you feel it.
2: You know what he hears and you know what he feels? Listen to some of the sound bites of Keith Jackson calling football games from the past at the Rose Bowl.
0: You can't pass through life without becoming acquainted with tradition, with legacy, and with the feeling of history. And the Rose Bowl does all of that. And it is completed at midfield. They're going for
3: two. throws, and he has it. He keeps it. He is in. Touchdown.
0: Ward, move. Bouncing outside. Ricky Irvitz. Touchdown. Rishi rolls out. Still got it. Let's it go big for Ty Streets. Touchdown.
2: Who was Keith Jackson? Where did it come from that he saw that value and needed that value? In his personal life, Listen to him tell the story about his grandfather, great-grandfather, a farmer, who used to say, woe Nelly. Well, he used it when he called football games later in his career. Gave Michigan
1: Stadium the nickname, The Big House. For more than five decades, as the autumn leaves changed, Jackson's folksy delivery remained the same.
0: And when the wolves come onto the field, you'll hear a roar that'll knock Iron cones out of trees, 50 miles away. Boom, go! Whoa, Nelly! Oh, Nelly came from my great-grandpa.
1: And then he would do something or drop something or whatever, and, and oftentimes you'd hear him say, whoa, Nelly, whoa, Nelly! Mm. He joined ABC Sports in 1964 as a radio correspondent and became a fixture on ABC's wide world of sports. Jackson's interest went beyond sports, as he considered Edward R. Murrow his idol. Jackson even covered a Republican national convention with Walter Cronkite. But it was through college football that Jackson established his legacy. He called 15 Rose Bowls, coining the term the granddaddy of them all. Mm. And again, who
2: was he?
0: It was on a day like this, and a place like this, that I first met Walter
1: Mitty. That purveyor of those golden moments that last a lifetime in the game of college football. Keith Jackson's voice will forever echo on Saturday afternoons in the fall. The royalty of
0: college football is in assembly at the Rose Bowl 2006. We're going to play football. Yippee! One man!
1: Jackson covered a host of events in his Hall of Fame career, including the Olympics, the NFL, and Major League Baseball. But he became synonymous with college football. Born in rural Georgia, Jackson joined the Marines at age 16. While enrolled in Washington State, he began his broadcasting career by calling a 1952 game between the Cougars and Stanford.
2: Listen to how Bob Greasy, his partner in the booth, talks about kind of how he used the reminiscing skill that he had to make for a
1: better game he loves the time right before the ball game the hour before the game when the bands are coming in and the stands are filling with four generations of fans as he likes to say he doesn't make the game ahead of time he waits and reacts to the game.
0: Still going, still going. And the last time Brian Greasy ran that far, his dad was chasing him with a stick. It's
2: <laughs> just so beautiful. And finally, listen to college football coach Hayden Fry just talking about how much this skill of Keith Jackson's meant to everybody.
0: Few have matched the preamble leading to this one because of the great turnaround, as it is called the Cinderella story. Well, we've had all the romance. Now let's find out if she can dance.
3: He's my hero. He's, uh, he stands for all of the good things re- uh, associated with college football.
0: The MVP in today's ball game, you want to know who it is? I'm standing alongside his proud daddy. You want to cry, you go ahead. I'll hold you.
2: Up. Miss Keith Jackson. But you can learn a lot from him. Learn a lot from Groucho Marx. The value, the power in your life of reminiscing. Coming up next is an expert we're going to talk to who knows everything about the whole concept and the value and power of using the past. The great Ted Sobel. Coming up next on the Weekend Warrior Show here on 710. ESPN.
5: Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook Know, know Your Knee, knee, knee post. <laughs> One of the most complicated areas of the body. ACL, PCL, MCL, patella supplication. Really? Dr. Clapper translates the language of your knee Dr. Clapper. on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Whoa. Simply type in Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Wow, your knee feels better already. Damn right. Like, follow, and feel better. Hello there. With the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.
1: Sedano, you know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m., Saturday mornings.
3: What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant.
1: I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where
3: are you going? Uruguay. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper.
0: Well, you go Uruguay, and I'll go mine.
3: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Goodbye, Joe, you gotta go. <laughs> why
0: are
2: we playing this song, Steve
3: Paulette?
2: Jambalaya. <laughs> Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. You're listening to Jambalaya. I have no idea why. But we're joined now by a man who may know the reason why, (laughs) the great Ted Sobel. Ted, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate it.
3: Well, I appreciate you, Dr. Clapper. I've enjoyed your shows for many years, and I have no idea why Steve's playing jambalaya either. (laughs)
2: Listen, Michelangelo is dead 500 years. (laughs) I can't talk to him, but I can talk to you. So I want to ask you. (laughs) This great book that you put together about Los Angeles called Touching Greatness, I want to play a soundbite, and I just want you to listen to it and teach us what it is that Keith Jackson is talking about, because okay. of all people, I, I think you are great at unlocking the secret power and value of reminiscing. So let's, let's listen to Keith Jackson walk. He's in his mid-80s walking into the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, the site of so many games he called.
0: The place talks. It talks to you. And if you, you don't believe it, if you ever have a chance, somewhere in this maze of seats, sit down. No conversation, just you. And just sit there and listen and see if you don't hear something. But you feel it. Right? You hear
4: it.
2: You may not even hear it. He hears it. But you can feel it. So when you go to the apple pan and you go to some of these places you talk about in your book, right, you could feel it. What is it, Ted Sobel, that you feel that you can teach us that we should feel?
3: Well, I think one of the things, doctor, that a lot of people don't think about literally is being sentimental. And it's okay to be that, because when you're sentimental, you appreciate things more from your childhood. And I bring back a lot of those things in my book, Touching Greatness. But when it comes from a food standpoint, a lot of the classic places from the 60s and 70s, they're long gone. But I can still taste them today, and I am not exaggerating, and I love going back and discussing those kinds of things. One of the great uh, things about the Apple Pan is it brings back those days, because that little shack that they have there, that little house on Pico looks like something from the 60s, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't belong there anymore, but it still is, and that, that makes it special.
2: Yeah, for sure. All right, so I've always wanted to ask someone like you this question. Because I really don't know the answer. But the restaurant that you talk about in your book called Ships, and they had yeah. three locations, and I remember going up the one in, uh, which is now the Arm & Hammer Museum, but it used to be there uh, in Westwood, and then there was one yeah. by La Cienega and Olympic. What was amazing about this place, this diner, was at the counter was a toaster. As if the waitress could not toast the toast for you. What was it that was so special? Other than the fact that all these years later, I'm still talking about a facakta toaster that's on top of the counter. (laughs) But what is it about a toaster at a diner that was so special?
3: You know, it wasn't just the toaster, Doc. When you walked into ships, and I used to go into the one more often in Culver City because that's where I grew up, and I have a chapter in the book about that. Mm-hmm. If this spe- specific place, ships, because they had a toaster, and you know the average person doesn't know how to toast well, <laughs> so they're usually overdoing it. It looks more like a <laughs> hockey puck when it comes out. And, and then it gets to the point where everything, if you have the scent of fresh, burnt toast, throughout the place Mm. and that's what chips was about you went there to smell the burnt toast besides the fact that they had the best chicken pot pie in town and their mashed potatoes were unbelievable
2: (laughs) you know i remember reading an article about in the new yorker about why there are so many different mustards but actually there's only one ketchup yeah other people hunts makes ketchup other people make ketchup but we only want heinz And the article was, why do we want Heinz? We want Heinz because from the moment we're little kids with all the sugar and all the other stuff and how it hits the different spots on your tongue, sweet, savory, salty, sour. Our tongue is like a map. And they put in the (laughs) ingredients in Heinz ketchup so that it hits each of those spots on your tongue and you become addicted to it. But it also is something we always love why there can only be one ketchup for us is because as a little kid, when you're given the bottle of ketchup, you get to actually take control over your food. That you can add a little bit, a lot. It's something where you can actually not only accept the meal, but you can start to control it. And that triggers something in our brain. And I wonder, the fact that there's a toaster on the counter (laughs) allows you to feel like you're not just coming here to have a meal put in front of your face. You're going to help make the meal. And I think it must have touched people in that way because I really don't need them to have me do the toasting. But obviously oh, <laughs> it worked. What are yeah, some of the so- other places, Ted, that really, well, let's go through a few. Kelbo's, Tale of the Pub, Chatham Grill, Will Wright's,
3: pick one. Well, you know what? We got to talk about Will Wright's because when I used to go to Will Wright's as a little kid, my father would take us to the one in Beverly Hills uh, Mm -hmm. on Beverly, and uh, it was just so good. I mean, you could almost smell the fat in the ice cream driving up to it. It was (laughs) unbelievable. And I have a story about Will Wright's in the book. Tell me. And a picture of Marilyn Monroe eating the best hot fudge sundae in the history of the universe. OK, oh. and that I got the rights to use this picture in the book. And when I used to go there, you would see members of the Rat Pack or whomever in this Beverly Hills will rights. But it was like almost a day later, you could still feel the fat content from the ice cream on your tongue. It was so heavy. I don't know how these people lived to be 30 who worked there <laughs> and just, to, just to eat it. But it was the absolute best. And I've never tasted anything like it since. Although I do have a sort of a favorite one that's not in LA, it's in Santa Barbara called McConnell's Ice Cream. Oh, and I think yeah. that's pretty special too. I but agree with you. Even, it's very, very special. I agree.
2: But you know, when you mention Hot Fudge Sunday, what comes to mind is it's probably the greatest thing you can ever eat. Why? Because it appeals to the perfect paradox, it's the perfect contrast. You have ice cold ice ice cream that has to come out of the freezer and what do you put on top of it you put boiling hot chocolate (laughs) all right so you have this amazing you're living in both worlds and in addition it's usually hot black chocolate on white vanilla ice cream so between the the temperature and the way it looks you just your brain can't handle these opposites, and it tastes so much good for so much better for that reason.
3: Oh my God! Yeah. All right, yeah, take us. When I grew up, in, yeah, I was gonna say, Doc, when I grew up, Foster's Freeze—the original. There's still some around, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not in the same form. As a little kid. They used to give us the cones and dip them into the chocolate. That was the first place <laughs> that I knew of that did that. Uh-oh. And you just waited it for to, to melt as you're eating it all over your shirt and your pants, and you didn't even care.
2: So my favorite place, and the ice cream is homemade, and they will dip it for you. And I don't want to tell them a secret because if they charge three times what they charge, I would pay for <laughs> it anyway. But at the don't Farmer's <laughs> Market on Fairfax and Third, there's an ice yeah. cream place in there called Barrett's. And yeah. they will dip your ice cream in the hot fudge and it congeals on top. And you gotta crack through that now hardened chocolate to get through the ice cream that's homemade. Let me tell you something. It's one of the greatest things you can have in Los Angeles is Barrett's ice cream in uh in the <laughs> farmers market. Incredible. All right. Yeah. A beloved person in my life. He did the promo for the show. He's passed away, but he's still with me. It's just, and with all of us, is Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant meant a lot to you. Tell us why Kobe Bryant was so special to all of us. And through your interactions with him, what was it that made us all just fall in love with him?
3: Well, I think it was his passion as much as anything. And it's also what put him on the negative side for a lot of people because remember early on it was either you were a Shaq guy or a Kobe guy. So it, uh, I covered Kobe from day one, the day he walked in and had his news conference with Jerry West and his first year when uh, the people always remember the famous air ball game, the last game of his rookie season, he was in Utah and he threw four air balls late in the game and the Lakers were eliminated from the post Everybody's wondering who is this kid? Mm. He can't even hit the rim. And, so although we knew that he had a lot of talent, he didn't play too many minutes in his rookie season. So Kobe was passionate to the point where he would drive you crazy. And that wasn't just his players. It was also the media. He would look at you like, you can't you can't ask me a question like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, Kobe, we got a job to do. And, and I joke in the book that nobody cussed me out more than Kobe Bryant. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking forward to in my next life. To get cussed out by him again, but it was something that uh, nobody else had. He was so much into I've got to do whatever it takes to win, and that's mm-hmm. what Kobe was all about. And that first season um, when I was there, I was I was in Utah by accident. I was there for I was a minor league hockey announcer in Long Beach Ice Dogs here in L.A. for the International Hockey League, we had a playoff game in Salt Lake City, and that just happened to be that night on an off night. I got a credential from the Lakers that covered for my old station, KFWB, and uh, that's the night that Kobe did it. And I used to joke with him after that, hey, Kobe, you know, remember those four air balls, which, of course, he remembered forever. Uh, Well, Mm -hmm. that won me a Golden Mike Award (laughs) because of the report that I did from that game, just on the post game, so wow. uh, I said your negative turned into be my positive, so we had to take something out of it. But Kobe was unbelievable. When you used to talk to him in the locker room, it was almost like every single night was game seven of the NBA finals, and there's nobody else like him that I've ever dealt with.
2: You know, to, we are now witnessing greatness in LeBron James uh, coming to Los Angeles and really filling the shoes of other great Lakers. But if they really all tell the truth, it all goes back to one guy, and that's Elgin Baylor. Tell us the story about how you met Elgin Baylor.
3: Well, it's my favorite story in the world because when I went to high school, I grew up in Culver City, and I have a chapter in my book about that. But when I left Culver City to go to Fairfax High School here in L.A., uh, I was playing on the C basketball team, and somebody said, hey, you moved into the area where Elgin Baylor lives. And I said, please, you got to be kidding me, because he was my basketball idol. I saw Elgin play in the early 60s with Jerry West, who just turned 83 yesterday. And it was just, it was, to me, it was like watching Babe Ruth uh, of his day play. That's how good Elgin Baylor was at the time. And nobody, like Chick Hearn used to say all the time, uh, the greatest pound-for-pound player he'd ever seen. And he said that all the way up to uh, Magic Johnson and into the Michael Jordan era. But hmm. people just don't remember him except for folks my age and older. And I was in the, above Doheny and Sunset Boulevard, where my parents moved to, and I had to hitchhike because I didn't drive yet. And I would hitchhike every single day up the hill and back down the hill, and it was a, a grueling walk, so I had to do something. And the late Della Reese used to pick me up on a regular basis. And she was the nicest person in the world. But my whole thing was, where's Elgin? Where does he live? I've got to meet this guy. And finally, uh, one day I'm walking home, I get close to home, and here comes an old brown, uh, well, at that time, it's it's old now, but a a beautiful brown, giant, uh, uh, cutlass, if you remember those old yep. cars, yep. Uh, and he was driving by, and I looked inside the window, it was Elgin Baylor, and I couldn't believe it. So, Doc, the next several weeks, my entire life, and I told my mother, and she thought I was crazy, that uh, all I have to do, I've got to find out where Elgin lives. That's all, that's, my whole life is about that. I used to walk up and down the streets, little cul-de-sacs, <laughs> where is that car? And I finally found it, and I had the nerve to knock on the door. And uh, his first wife Ruby answered the door, and I said, "Hi, I'm Ted. I'm a neighbor. I just wanted to meet Elgin and just to say hello." And he came. She says, "You come back to tomorrow the same time." He was still playing at this time, and said, "If you come back tomorrow at this time, he will be available for you. Uh, it'd be very nice of you to stop by." So I ran home and I told my mother, "I said Elgin's going to meet me tomorrow." And the next day, I came home from school, and I ran back up the hill, and I was pounding. And as a doctor, you'll appreciate this, because I, in my book, I describe that as I'm knocking on the door, if I was an old man, I would have keeled over from cardiac arrest, because I could hear my heart pounding. Yeah. And finally, the door opens, and it's Mrs. Baylor again. She says, one second, I will get Elgin. And he walked, and the first thing is, hi, I'm Elgin, like I didn't know. <laughs> and he invited me in his house and brought me immediately into his trophy room. And that, to me, was one of the greatest 15 minutes of all time. And I just stared around like I was in Cooperstown. Wow. It's, it was just unbelievable. And it got to the point, Doc, that he ended up um, taking me to games, and uh, I would I went to Elgin Baylor night with him, and we just had a blast together. I got to know his kids, and I would shoot baskets in his backyard. Can you imagine that happening today? It is totally impossible.
2: Yeah. But you know, I I hate I hate for a young person to hear that it was great then. I'd rather them be inspired by your story. Yes, you cannot do that today, but yes. what what a young person now if if Ted Sobel I love this question, yeah. you know, if <laughs> if how young are you now, Ted? I'm 67 years young. Right. So if 67-year-old Ted Sobel could talk to 60, because we have a lot of people who are 16 years old listening to the show, if he could talk to 16-year-old Ted Sobel, what would he tell him? And I'm talking about right now. You know, I yeah. would tell him, let's hear what you would tell a 16-year-old Ted Sobel. Well,
3: I would tell ted sobel you've got to live your passion mm-hmm. and that's what it's all about and if you don't have a passion you better find one because mm-hmm. that's what life's about you otherwise you're just breathing you're a leaf right and at fall from the tree and it's all over so you want to spend your life on on a tree you want to at least have a nice view yeah so live your passion and mm-hmm. if you have passion then you're going to do the things that i did you're going to look for Elgin Baylor's of the world. Right. You're going to look for the LeBron Jameses, and it may not be so easy. They might have a moat with alligators and 500 security people in front of their house, but it doesn't mean you can't try, and guess what? You'll have stories to tell about how you tried.
2: In your book, I love when you talk about your dad and the ability for him to walk down the street, and to you as a little kid, total strangers, seems like everybody knew who your dad was because... In his business, he had to deal with a lot of these folks. But clearly, he treated people with dignity and respect and got that back in return. And that must have made a big impression on you as you became a young
3: adult. Totally, doctor. It was going downtown around Olympic and Sam T. And 9th Street, where he had a little shop called CNS Jobbers, which he got credited for being one of the first to have... Outlet stores, as we know them today, in that area now there's like seven million of them in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he was a guy that everybody loved because he made people laugh, mm-hmm. and that's what I would also tell the little Ted Sobels and Joe Smiths of the world. Uh, if don't take everything so damn seriously, have mm-hmm. fun. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Laugh at yourself every day, all day. Do something stupid. Don't get mad learn from it but laugh at it and my father was great at that and i would walk across the street with him in downtown la and it would literally be i'd never forget it it was the the light would turn green we would walk across there might be 15 people walking towards us hi mr sobo hi bernie how are you Everybody i'm looking at him like who are you are you mm-hmm. the president of the united states yeah. well how does everybody know you mm-hmm. and he, he made women's clothes he manufactured dresses mm. so he said well, that's the guy who makes my belt that's the one who does the zippers that's the one who does the buttons and it's like okay but still you're pretty damn popular yep. and that stayed with me forever and I had to write about that in the book.
2: Well the book is great when does it come out Touching Greatness?
3: It's now out on Amazon right now and okay. uh, it's it's just a, it's a combination of a memoir growing up in LA talking about the old days and then covering Exact entire careers of the Kobe Bryant's, Tiger Woods of the world, and it's it's very special to me because I want to share these stories. Everybody always said, "Hey, you got to talk about this and you got to talk about that in the book." Well, now I've done it. By the way, thank you for bringing up Garage Show because he's in the book too. <laughs> my father used to play my father used to play cards with Zeppo Marks at the Friars Club every <laughs> single day, so I heard <laughs> stories.
2: <laughs> Listen, the book's called Touching Greatness, but Steve Paulette and I. Feel like this morning we got to touch greatness because we got to touch Ted Sobel. Thanks so much for getting up early to be with us, Ted.
3: Thank you, doctor. All the
2: best. Okay, young man. Warriors, coming up next, a little more Clapper Vision. Going to teach you how to read an MRI with Clapper Vision. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN.
3: Hey, goodbye, Joe. you got to go. Oh Mile, we got a go for the hero down the bio. My eat sweetest one real mile. Son of a gun, want to have big fun on the bow.
5: Miss an interview or doc's weekly story? Check it out on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Also Doc's advice to callers on their aches and pains. Just type Weekend Warrior in the Facebook search bar and you'll see Doc's picture in the listings. And thanks for checking out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. What's the best medicine? Besides chicken soup, (laughs) vitamin C, (laughs) green tea, (laughs) prunes, Uh, shot whiskey, (laughs) not around here, what's the best medicine i cannot wait we call it clafter
0: <laughs> why does the doctor need that little office for anyway you know his books little stupid aquarium there i guess he doesn't want people to see him looking stuff up what the hell was that <laughs> jesus christ that was kind of
1: gross that wasn't the tube or the circle
4: Clafter.
0: <laughs>
1: Hey, it's Mace. You know, there is no better way to start your Saturday than with Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's
2: going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Sometimes you can call me Smokey. Sometimes you can
3: call me Rocky. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper.
2: Today, I want to be Tito. Dr. Tito Clapper.
3: Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers.
0: Photographs and memories Christmas cards you sent to me All that I have, are these
3: To remember you Memories that come at night
0: Take me to another time Back to a happier day When I called you mine But we sure had a good time when we Welcome back,
2: Weekend Way Warriors. Back when, Postcards and memories. The great Jim Croce. Talks talks died too young. You Big, powerful guy having such a sweet voice. What Some an artist. Good job, Steve Paulette That's a good one. Alright, the lines are all lit. The number is 877-710-ESPN. Let's go to Steve in Studio City. You're on with Dr. Clapper. How can I help?
3: Hey, Doc. I've been suffering from me- uh, medial epicondylitis for about four months. Two First months.
2: of all, how young uh, are you, and what do you do for a living? Oh,
3: yes, I'm 31. I Part-time, I teach tennis, so that doesn't help. But um, Oh,
2: there you go.
4: So um, medial epicondylitis,
2: guess what? You, the tennis player, you got a golf elbow.
3: How the hell did you do
2: that? Yeah. You got the wrong thing. <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, that's what I was wondering. How'd that happen?
2: <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I I am very confident, Steve, that you and I will get you better without an operation, without a cortisone shot, because the cause of your medial epicondylitis, and I'll explain it to you. Do you listen to the show? You know what Clapper Vision is. Uh, the the, the MR, MRI, right? Or do you know do you know do you listen to this show on Saturdays? I just started, so like Okay, so you don't hey, even know what Clapper Vision. Yeah. You don't even know what you're in for. You better buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> so there is a very famous painting called Dr. Tulp's Anatomy Class. You can Google it. You'll look it up. And uh-huh. I think it's a Rembrandt. What's so impressive about this? painting, Dr. Tulpe's anatomy class, is that it is a beautiful painting from the 1600s of a class of medical students, way back when, hundreds of years ago, with the cadaver. And the the professor, the instructor, is actually lifting up. So let's look at our arm now. The With your palm up, look at your forearm, look at your elbow, your palm is up, the Little finger, the pinky side of your elbow, is called the ulna bone, an ulna side of the elbow. And your thumb side of your elbow is the radial side. Well, to extend your wrist, you're using the muscles that anchor to the thumb side of the elbow, the radial side. That's where the extensors come, to extend your wrist. To flex your wrist... The muscles anchor from the pinky side of the elbow with your palms up, the ulnar side. And what's so awesome about this painting that I'm talking about is the artist did not know his anatomy because if you look at the painting, you see the instructor lifting up what looks like tendons and muscles from the medial side of the elbow, the ulnar side of the elbow, but the, the wrist, is, the hand is extending, which is wrong. So the anatomy is, he doesn't know what's anatomy. And the reason I'm telling you the story is the muscles, and there's three, brachioradialis, extensor carpi radialis, longest extensor capi, uh, carpi radialis brevis, these three muscles that anchor to your elbow, to the thumb side of your elbow with your palm up, they are the muscles that extend the wrist, and they're anchored to the bone. Here's a clapper vision, so you're going to learn what a clapper vision is. Under the microscope, how does muscle attach itself to bone? Bone is hard. The muscles are soft. Under the microscope, they're called Sharpies fibers. The way the muscle interdigitates and anchors from the bone literally looks like two pieces of Velcro. That's what it looks like. And so when you get a tennis elbow, you are ripping the Velcro apart, and it bleeds microscopically, and it's painful And that's in tennis players holding their racket. The grip is too small. The grip is too big. They're doing it the same way over and over again, an overuse syndrome. And microscopically, you rip the muscle off of the bone. That is the itis, if you will. Lateral, because it's the thumb side, lateral epicondylitis. Epicondyle is the name of that bump on the end of the humerus bone that makes up your elbow. Well, you have done the opposite you have Velcro-ripped the anchoring of the muscles that are responsible for flexing your wrist and flexing your fingers. That's where they come from. They come from the medial side, which is the ulnar side of the elbow, off of that bone called the epicondyle. Epi in Latin means the height, and the condyle is the flared-out portion of the bone by the elbow of the humerus. So the height of it, the, the, the tip of it, the tip is epi, the epicondyle, and itis means it's inflamed. What? It's not really inflamed. It's ripped off. It's trauma. It's traumatic, but it's because of an overuse of doing the same thing over and over again. So this is a pretty easy fix, and I want you please not to let anyone talk you into cortisone shots, stem cells, or other cockamamie injections. And it's particularly dangerous, Steve, in this area. Why? Because the funny bone nerve that we often hit is so exposed. It's right underneath the skin by this area of the elbow. And oftentimes, the doctor giving you a shot puts the needle actually into the nerve and you can do damage. So no injections, please, of any kind. Capiche? I'm
3: sorry, doc. After two months of three times a week PT, the ortho said that was my best. No. No,
2: no, no, no. Get yourself a neoprene sleeve, and you're going to need to not rely on the physical therapist. You'll need to rely on an exercise routine that you'll do yourself. But if this persists in being that painful, and it is three months, six months, then I'm going to want you to see someone who's a doctor who really specializes in this area. And there's someone at Cedars. Do you have a pencil? I'm going to give you his name. Okay. His name is David Kulber, K-U-L-B-E-R. In cases where it just will not improve, then you're going to need to actually fix the problem. Giving you shots does not fix the problem. It just poisons the tissues. It's not good for you. Wearing the neoprene sleeve, doing the right exercise, and I probably would give it another month or two before I would, you know, think that you have to have it elevated and, and do a surgical, which is a very straightforward, easy thing to do, but it has to be done by someone who knows what they're doing and does it all the time. And that would be David Colbert. He's great at it. So give him a call and, at Cedars and you will be set straight. All right? And
3: are you talking PRP with him or
2: No, no, no I'm not talking i I'm not talking about any needles. None of this is going to be helpful. You're gonna to try to okay. do your best to heal your injury, but if that's not okay. happening then you're actually going to need to have someone, and he'd be the perfect person to talk to you about how you can elevate this hamburger meat. That's basically what it looks like. Um, and oh. he, Yeah, but he does it all the time, and it's a two-inch incision type of deal. But this is something that you'll be able to get on with your life because your anatomy and what you do for a living, and that's why it's so important to tell me what you're doing for a living. You need to change the thickness of those golf clubs. The grip has to be changed, you need to do a few things in how you make a living to calm down what you're doing to your elbow. Because if you don't change what's causing this to happen, it's going to return again. So this is yeah. an easy fix. That doesn't mean don't play golf anymore, but something as elegant and as simple as changing your grip and how your fingers grip, you will then strain the origin of this muscle differently. And that alone will be helpful. And there are exercises that a really good physical therapist can teach you um, to get right. But uh, but to get you on the road to recovery, this is what you're going to do. All right? Okay. Thank you so much, doctor. All right, young man. Thank you so much for calling. And, Stephen, I want you to do me a favor. You're a total stranger to me. I just help you. I need you to find a total stranger today. Do something nice for them. That's how you'll be thanking me. Yes, sir, doc. Okay, young man. Thanks for calling. All right. Let's do some Clapper Vision with... Contavious Caldwell-Pope, he had an MRI yesterday. Thank God it's negative for any structural damage to his quadriceps. But you may wonder, what is it that we look for? And remember, the MRI is a black and white study. It's not in color, which is shocking to me in 2021 that we don't have some smart uh, engineer from Caltech who's creating a color MRI for us where we can see what the body really looks like, which is in color. When I go to surgery and I take a scalpel and go through your skin to fix your shoulder, your hip, your knee, whatever I'm operating on, you're in color. The fat is yellow. The blood vessels are red. The nerves are white. The tendon is red, burgundy. You're in color, not in black and white. But there you go. In 2000, we still deal with MRIs that are in black and white. And my best Clapper vision is water is liquid. Ice is a solid. Right? You have two opposites, like black and white, water and ice, liquid versus solid. But trust me, living in New York, I know this. There is something called slush. That's right, like Italian ices, which are delicious. I think Village Pizza is selling Italian ices, to be honest with you. The greatest thing to have after a slice of pizza is chocolate Italian ices, but don't get me started. But that's slush. Slush is gray. If you were to put a color, if water is white and ice, or I should say water is black and ice is white, opposite colors, gray, the color gray is slush. And that's what we look for on an MRI for both a warrior like KCP, who's a Laker, not a warrior, but he's a warrior in terms of life. And we're weekend warriors. We're not professional athletes, but we use the same technology And the radiologist and the orthopedic surgeon learns how to look at slush. We learn to look for the gray on the MRI, because gray means a tear. And not having that is why I expect to see KCP lead the way tomorrow as we beat those Phoenix Suns yet again. Until next Saturday, I'll see you on the radio.
4: (laughs) Nel cielo infinito Volare, vol, cantare,
5: vol. Weekend Wars on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers, aches, and pain issues.
1: Right, I get it.
5: Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila. Oh. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page.